Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 62. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier on in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? I'm doing great, John, and highly caffeinated as usual. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Hey, um, this is the first of, you guessed it, a two-part discussion with a guest. We're talking with Nick Tulsashev, and he is having a pretty interesting career as a technical community manager. Um, one thing, you know, before we get into it, I just want to make sure everybody knows that uh, Nick Tulsashev uh, spells his name N-I-C, and you, Nick Cordy, spell your name N-I-C-K. So that's how you know who we're referring to um, in the episode. Uh, so if if I say Nick, it'll sound like Nick. But if I say Nick, it'll sound like Nick. So um, hopefully that clears that up. Yeah, I appreciate it. And if John just starts spelling, you'll you'll know he's just trying to cue the right person to say something next. But John and I were actually members of the Spiceworks community and still are. And several years ago, Nick Tolstashev worked there as the community manager. So if you got the privilege to visit HQ, you might get to meet Nick and see the giant band hammer that he used to moderate the community. And it's just a really cool, eccentric dude that, uh, you know, is, is really open to helping anyone. And, and he loves what he does. You can tell by just talking to him. Yeah. In his role as a community manager, um, I think we'll get into it a little bit, but you know, it's, it's really interesting the crossover with uh, different roles, but um, some of the, the stuff that he's had to deal with, uh, you know, people acting inappropriately. I think we kind of went through, listened to it and went, ah, maybe we need to cut that out of the episode. So if you ever want to hear those crazy stories, then you need to go uh, seek out Nick Tolstersev, um and then convince him that he needs to do uh, either a memoir or an explicit tag podcast, uh, which we are not. So <laughs> with that in mind, um, our interview with Nick Tolstersev, uh, one of the few people we know who has his own feed uh, of crazy pictures of himself. So uh, with that in mind, our interview with Nick Tolstersev, part one. Nick Tolstashev, thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, Nick, can you just give our listeners a little background about where you work, what you do today? Yeah, so uh, for about the past 15 years or so, I've been working as an online community manager. And then for about a decade before that, I uh, worked in IT as a sysadmin. You're really uh, aging yourself there by saying sysadmin. <laughs> Yeah, what's the uh, what's the term the hip young people are using these days? I don't know. IT pro. Engineer. <laughs> An engineer. Rockstar. <laughs> An engineer. I hadn't heard that one before. 
<laughs> SRE. No. Oh yeah, site reliability engineers. That's a big one. Or uh, what's the other uh, hybrid DevOps? DevOps engineer. There you go. Yeah. So what does a community manager do, Nick? For people who may not know. So basically, my job is to do a variety of different things, but the main one is to manage an online community and make sure it's thriving and that people are getting along and also serving as a conduit of information. So summarizing info from, say, if it's a customer community and taking that to potentially feedback to the product department or feedback to the marketing department. And then in the other direction, you know, when uh, people within the company are like, hey, I need to talk to some customers about something or do a focus group or a beta test, then I'll help them get connected with some people on the community. Well, that's interesting. That kind of maybe speaks to my first question, which was why do companies invest in having a community um, at all? Yeah. <laughs> um, is there kind of a formalized answer to that other than the stuff that you just said? Yeah, so there's some good data out there now showing that people who participate in online communities as customers will stick around longer, they'll purchase more, and they'll go out and tell their friends and evangelize. So it really makes sense for the business's bottom line to have an online community uh, or at least some channel to talk to their customers you know, in an online format doesn't necessarily have to be a public community. Some people do that all via social media. Uh, some people might do it, you know, uh, in other fashions. Interesting. So uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, if there's like kind of a peer-to-peer -peer community where um, people are, you know, users are talking to other users and, and kind of co collectively working things out or maybe kind of being mentored in, in, in a product usage or advanced usage or even simple usage, then the stickiness of the product and of the company is, is a lot higher. Yeah, exactly. So those people are going to stick around because they have an investment, you know, not just in using your product, but in the whole ecosystem of participating and talking with the company and offering feedback and offering to help spread the word. Do you find that companies that have online communities have that instead of a customer advocacy program that's formalized or in addition to? Uh, some companies will have those as kind of two separate roles. Uh, some of them will kind of have it all in one. It just depends. Um, that's part of kind of the challenge of community as in a newer discipline is a lot of companies don't know where to put it in the org. You know, does it belong under marketing? Does it belong under support? Does it belong under dev and engineering? And, you know, I've been in all those different departments at various companies. Um, but I think once the practice matures, it's going to, you know, be its own department within the company, just like IT would be a department within a company that services the needs of, you know, everyone within the company, not just one particular department. Oh, that's really interesting. I never even really thought about where in the organization something would fall. If if it falls under support, then it gets maybe squeezed the same way support does. And yep. and it also, you know, isn't the maybe the developers and engineers and product management doesn't necessarily see the benefit and isn't as fully invested, you know, because they don't have a stake in it. But if it falls in, you know, one hundred percent in, you know, product management, then 
the support people maybe don't see the full investment and uh, aren't fully invested in, in helping, you know, dropping in and helping people out. I, I just, I never thought about that. It, it really does kind of need to be hybrid or, or maybe fall under like a customer success organization or, or something along those lines. Right. And yeah, it can be a challenge for resources on all fronts. So like you said, if you're in support, they're typically seen as a cost center. So you get underfunded. Um, but if you sit under marketing, you know, there's money there. So that helps. But if you go to the support org and are like, hey, I'd like to train the support agents that are typically on the phones or an email to participate in the online forum, they're like, well, that's my resources and my headcount. So, you know, I don't know if we can make time for that. So it's really important to have, you know, advocates across the company who really get community. Um, and I've typically found that companies that have been started since online communities were a thing and where the community grew up with the company, it tends to be more integrated than companies that have been around for 25 years and then started an online community. Um, there's a lot more challenge there in terms of like getting buy-in and getting people to understand, you know, what the benefits are or what the community can do for them. Yeah, I guess what you really need is a, a founder who has experienced um, the benefit of some other online community um, <laughs> in in their job, you know, before being a founder in order for them to understand it like that. That might be the, uh, the, the holy grail. Yeah, typically you'll have a, a sponsor, you know, at the exec level who gets it. And ideally, that's the CEO and in my current role at Automox. Um, that's what I have. I have, you know, a CEO who gets the benefit of the community who has been wanting to build one since he started the company. And now we're finally at the size where it makes sense. So he's really excited and bought into the whole thing, which makes my life so much easier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And at a smaller company, would someone who does community management also be in charge of managing the Twitter handle, posts on LinkedIn, things like that? Uh, once upon a time, that was true. Uh, these days, typically, there's a separate person who's dedicated just to social media. And typically, that's kind of marketing the company and stuff like that. Some places, if they're large enough, will have a separate person who just does support type questions on social media in addition to the marketing person. Um, but yeah, those roles have pretty well diverged at this point. So even though I'm at a company of you know, 50, 60 some people, there's someone else doing the social media stuff. And, you know, if there's cool stuff on the community, I just feed it to him to tweet about. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, you, you say that and I just realized that there, I'm sure that most major um, like companies with a, a, like a end customer focus, you know, like mass market, like an airline or like a, a large national retailer probably do have people watching. I mean, I know they have people watching the Twitter feed, you know, complaining about things and who will jump in and say, Hey, you know, what can we do to help? And, you know, you know, DM me your contact information. I'll see what I can right. do. That kind of thing. <laughs> but that's a marketing function, but it, it, it is kind of like a, a hybrid marketing support function, um, but not really community. I, I, I get that now. Yeah, no, those those roles, yeah, were a lot more fuzzy. And and once upon a time, you know, for a while, social media was hot in the beginning, and then it became kind of a, a wastebasket job or a first job out of college job. And then they started calling social media managers, community managers, and you, we want you to manage our community on Twitter. And then I think finally, people figured out that they were two separate jobs and the skills, while they have some overlap, aren't completely the same. And 
you know, your interactions on Twitter are a lot more fleeting than your interactions on an online community. And that kind of makes the biggest difference between the two in terms of how they work. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting because I realize, you know, in, you know, being part of, you know, VMware's like a V community, um, some of that actually does take place on Twitter, but it it's totally anchored in like personalities yeah. and people, right? And um, people with, with huge uh, networks who have, you know, made it part of their personal brand to to create like large networks of people that they, you know, are connected to and then are constantly like feeding that community. And that, you know, is in addition to their, you know, 40 or 50 hour a week job. Right. And that's, that's not the same thing as like a formal community management and having like some kind of software platform where people are joining and posting and interacting. Yeah, no, it's definitely a different dynamic. Like you said, you know, the, social media tends to be a lot more broadcast from uh, one to many and then some back and forth, but it's, it's different from, you know, the kind of more intimate or ongoing conversation in an online community. And it's also, you know, the social media platforms by their nature, it's harder to have a good conversation on there because technology just doesn't really allow for it. Like even recently, uh, the CEO of Twitter, Jack, had this scheduled online debate with somebody that they were going to hold on Twitter. And by the time they got to the end of it, both of them were like, yeah, this probably wasn't the right medium to do this in. It's very hard to have a conversation in a Twitter thread and the character limits. And it's very hard for anybody to come and follow that afterwards versus a discussion thread in an online community. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. It's, you know, um, like a broadcast medium versus an interactive medium and, and, you know, different software products have different versions, right? Is it a threaded conversation? Is it, you know, not threaded, like, right. Um, you know, topic versus kind of stream. Um, yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, <laughs> but the, 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 uh, the shape of the conversation changes the type of conversation. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, it's if you do have a fully nested conversation, it's easier to go off into digressions and either go down that rabbit hole or not, or just collapse the thread that you don't care about um, versus uh, community platforms where it's more in line and you use a lot more quoting uh, to get around that limitation. So all of those mechanisms will definitely shape the conversation. You know, are people anonymous? Are they pseudonymous? Are they using their real names and, and real life personas? Uh, that all changes how people interact in different and fascinating, both for good and bad ways. I'm really curious, Nick, how did you find out about the community manager role? I know you were in traditional IT before and you must have made some sort of transition. So can you go into that a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. So the actual transition happened uh, while I was working at Intuit. Um, I had taken a job there in their QuickBooks Enterprise Support Department. Um, I was kind of between jobs as a sysadmin, and we were living in Tucson, and they were hiring. So I checked it out, and you know they're a great company to work for. So I spent uh, a couple of years there. You know, did a year on the phones and support. Did another year of kind of being tier two you know, subject matter expert and training for the frontline engineers. Uh, and then uh, a job opening came up in their community department. And I saw that, you know, and I was kind of like, oh, this looks interesting. Why don't I check it out? Um, 
but kind of my real first exposure to online communities was back in high school. Um, I ended up getting an internship at the uh, NIH in DC, the National Institutes of Health, um, you know, through nepotism. My mom worked there, so uh, she found this opportunity for me to come in and intern and, you know, do programming stuff. And uh, that was when I got my first Usenet account. So instead of you know, what I was supposed to be doing, which was, you know, writing code. I just spent most of my days online uh, in Usenet, kind of reading various things that people were writing on there and seeing how that community was growing and evolving. And, you know, that was fascinating for me because it was A, brand new, um, and B, you had people from all over the planet who were online just kind of helping complete strangers and sharing knowledge. And that online collaboration and meeting people you would never meet in real life was what really fascinated me about the whole thing. Oh, I was going to ask if you're spending all your time on alt.flame, but, uh, <laughs> but you said helping people. So, uh, yes, well, but, not always helping. Yes. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of fun nonsense groups on there. Like, uh, alt Swedish chef Bork, Bork, Bork was, uh, one of my favorites. Alt.wesley.crusher.die.die.die. Yes. Yeah. That was another good one. Yeah. yeah. The alt, the alt channel was a free for all because anybody could create a news group anytime they wanted. Kind of like you can go on Reddit and make a subreddit about anything. Um, for all the other official channels like the the rec and the science and stuff like that, there was a process. So if you wanted to create a group about something, you had to make a proposal and then there was a voting period and you had to get like 100 people to say, yes, I think this group's a good idea and I'm interested in it. And then you would get official approval to create a new group under the appropriate hierarchy. So there was definitely a, a very big difference between the alt group and everything else in terms of how the conversation went. This also um, shows you how long ago when 100 people was what it took. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, this was back, I think, back before most of the major colleges was online. So it's basically, you know, colleges, but, you know, the professors and the staff, not the students, and then scientific, you know, places like the NIH. So you were talking with, you know, folks from a very specific strata, and then all the students started coming online. And that's when the, uh, the September influx of newbies happened that eventually morphed into what they call the eternal September, which is when the AOL came online and there was just constant streams of newbies who didn't know what they were doing, who were asking stupid questions. So yeah, that was, that was a rarefied time back in those days. We'll put a link to the, uh, the Wikipedia page for Usenet for people who have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're, uh, if you're under the age of about 40, you probably don't know what we're talking about. I love how you said the AOL. That just made it sound so much better. <laughs> uh, you got mail, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> I, I'm really curious, Nick, as, as you go from someone who is kind of a hobbyist and dabbles in these communities for fun, and then it becomes a you know pretty much your job, mm -hmm. is it still fun? Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's it's the kind of thing I enjoy so much that it's like, I spend all day online at work and then I come home and then, you know, I'm browsing Reddit for a large chunk of my free time just because it's still constantly fascinating to me to see the spontaneous things that people get together and organize, like, you know, storming area 51 or, you know, naming a boat, splashy McSplashy pants, you know, it's like 
just uh, that stuff I find endlessly entertaining. It's interesting um, now with uh, the growth of uh, places like uh, Reddit, if, if companies don't provide their own community, I imagine that they're at risk of just having, you know, whatever user group, you know, or user community that's out there just spontaneously self, self, uh, self-organize on a place like Reddit or someplace else that where there's less visibility. Yeah. And my mentor at Intuit, who was, you know, the guy that hired me into the community department, his name's Scott Wilder. And he was the guy who founded, you know, the online community at Intuit for QuickBooks. Um, so he would always say, you know, they're going to have the conversation. If you delete it on your own community, they're going to have it somewhere else. If you don't have your own online community, they'll have it somewhere else. So it's not like you're going to stop the conversation from happening. You want to be in that conversation. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of companies that either don't provide their own online community and then some fan will start one for them. And there may be several, you know, like there's an official Tesla forum and there's like three different unofficial Tesla forums run by independent people. And uh, if a company is smart, they'll do one of a couple things. Um, one is definitely engage on the fan communities as well as your, or instead of your official one, if you don't have one. And some companies will even go and make an offer to a hobbyist and say, hey, you built this great online community. We'd like to buy it from you. You know, we'll buy the domain name and we'll take it over. And, you know, they may or may not keep that person on as an employee to run the community. Um, so that that's a way of approaching it. And just like, you know, you've got to have a Twitter handle and a Facebook page and a LinkedIn page, you know, people are going to talk about you on Reddit and on third-party communities. So it's important to keep an eye on that. Um, I use a tool called Board Reader, which is a search engine just for online communities. So it's boardreader.com. And you can go in there and, you know, say you're working for VMware, you can type in VMware and see all the conversations that are going on in online communities um, filtered out from all the other stuff that if you just typed it into Google that you get. Well, that's fascinating. I, I, of course, now that you say that, of course, there are specialized tools for, <laughs> for for doing that. But uh, but it just never occurred to me, of course, that there there would be. If there weren't, then you know they'd have to be created, right? So yeah, exactly. Um, can you talk maybe just a second about um, for you the the benefits you know personally into your career about getting into that community management space, like. Um, for maybe for people who are thinking as part of their career progression, like maybe it's something that they want to explore. Yeah. So, I mean, by its nature, you're very connected to a lot of people online and the bigger your network is, the more chances you're going to have of stumbling across opportunities or someone, you know, thinking of you when they're making a recommendation to somebody about hiring someone. Um, so in that way, it's been very beneficial. You know, I was working at Spiceworks for five years, and now I know hundreds and thousands of IT pros all around the world. And, you know, if I were ever out of work and like, hey, guys, I need a job, that's, you know, hundreds and thousands of eyeballs out there looking and potentially recommending me for something. How about the cons? Are, are there any downsides about being in this space? Um, yeah, so depending on what industry you work in, um, you will get more or less of this. In a B2B type situation, um, you get less of it because people are 
on your community with their professional hats on and their professional reputations at stake. But for hobbyist communities or online gaming, you'll get a lot of online harassment. And in some cases, even, you know, stuff outside of that, like people tracking you down and doxing you or, you know, sending you nasty letters, things like that. Um, so that's something to know is, you know, in, in some regards, you're going to be a public figure through this, you know, depending on how big the community is. And, you know, like Xbox has Major Nelson. He's the face of Xbox. So that's this guy's job for life. You know, he's like the Dell guy. It's like you'll always see him and be like, oh, that's the Dell dude. <laughs> Are you talking about the dude? You're, you're getting a Dell? Dude, you're getting a Dell. Yeah, oh, that okay. guy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm dating myself. Maybe right. I should use something more current, like uh, the most interesting man in the world. That's That's his online persona and job for life now. You know, like the Gateway 2000 cow. Yes. <laughs> That's the, never going away. Or the PC and Mac guys that used to be on those commercials. Yes, that's right. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned Spiceworks. So I'm assuming that was a little bit larger community than Intuit, or, or maybe it was way smaller at the beginning. You tell me. Uh, that's a good question. Um, trying to think back to how big their relative sizes are. I mean, the QuickBooks community was fairly substantial, mainly because they'd done a good job of enlisting their network of uh, tax professionals. So CPAs and tax repairers who were using the QuickBooks system and using that ecosystem, they had a lot of incentive to go participate on the community to further their careers. So if I became renowned as a QuickBooks expert answering a lot of questions on an online community, then people would see in their signature that, you know, here's my contact info. And if they needed help or didn't have an accountant, they could reach out to those people and be like, hey, uh, you know, I need some consulting or I need to hire an accountant to do my taxes for me. Now, I think, Nick, if you don't mind, can you just tell the listeners uh, how you got to Spiceworks and share that really fun interview story that you have? Oh yeah, that was uh, that was pretty epic, and uh, it involves when people ask me like, "What's the closest you've come to death?" I usually tell that story, even though it's probably not literally true, but it subjectively felt that way. Um, so yeah, I uh, I was at Intuit, and um, they had made some changes and reorgs, and they had moved um, the community out of the support department into marketing, and they had fired my previously mentioned mentor. And so I was starting to see the writing on the wall and I was like, I better start looking around. Um, so I found this listing for Spiceworks for a community manager and it looked interesting. Um, because of my background in IT, it was like, oh, you know, this is a community of people I understand and get. So uh, I applied and uh, talked with Tabrez and then they flew me out for an interview. Um, so it was just a, a day long interview. It was kind of like fly in the night before interview and then head back that night. So I hopped on my plane, um, from Tucson and Tucson's a small town, so there's no direct flights to anywhere. So the stopover was in Houston. Uh, as we're coming into Houston, there was a huge tropical storm that shut down the airport and we didn't have enough fuel to, uh, wait it out. So we got diverted to Corpus Christi and the weather was still so bad there that it took three passes over the runway for them to be able to land um, because the winds were so bad, even in Corpus Christi. 
and it was complete whiteout conditions. So we couldn't tell how, you know, if, were we 200 feet off the ground or two feet off the ground. And so, you know, we keep making these approaches and I'm thinking, you know, we're going to crash and burn or all going to die. And finally, after the three approaches, we landed and kind of caught our breath. And then we made it back into Houston at something like 11 o'clock at night. And the last plane to Austin had left like an hour previous and they were like, well, you know, we've got a lot of people to rebook tomorrow. We can get you on a flight at like two o'clock. So I'd get into Austin after the entire day was over. That doesn't sound good. Yeah. So I was like, what do I do now? Um, and then I was like, well, why not go see if there's any rental cars available? So I ran over to the rental car desk and got uh, a rental car and then just drove from Houston to Austin, which is about like a three or four hour trip. And I got in at like two in the morning and my sister was living in Austin at the time. So I was staying with her. Uh, so I got in late at night and asked her if she would do me the favor of ironing my shirt in the morning so I could sleep in a little bit longer because I was running on about six hours of sleep. Um, so yeah, I finally got into, uh, to Spiceworks and did the interviews. And of course that was a great interview story to tell that I had, you know, taken the initiative to hop in a rental car rather than just being like, sorry, can we reschedule? My flight got delayed. So I think that, uh, helped kind of show some scrappiness and in initiative. That's awesome. And obviously <laughs> you got the job. Now, yes, just, I did. I'm just curious you know, once you got into that community and it grew into what it was, you know, toward the middle slash end of you being there, uh, what are some things that you ended up having to deal with in that community that maybe you never thought you would have to deal with, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so there's uh, a lot of crazy stories from that time. Um, I can tell you a couple of them. Uh, one was the guy who came in and joined the community. Ah, wow. All right. Yikes. I, I didn't even think that that was something that might happen. And it, I mean, the, the sordid underbelly of, of having to be a community manager. That's uh Oh yeah. This, you deal with a lot of, a lot of crazies. I mean, they're very small percentage of the population, but they take up a lot of time. And, you know, there's trolls and scammers. In fact, speaking of photographers, uh, another incident we had at Spiceworks was uh, there was a guy who was a lawyer and a photographer, and his little money-making scheme was he would go take beautiful shots of city skylines like Chicago, and then he would post them online, and they would get well-ranked in Google because, you know, it was a good photo and people liked it and would link to it. And, of course not thinking about copyright issues, people would go on there, download photos off of Google and use them on their website without asking permission. So this guy would do a reverse Google search, find everybody who was using his picture, and then send him a letter asking for $400 for you know licensing fees for his photo and more money if you wanted to continue to use it. It was 400 bucks if you took his photo down and sent him some money so he wouldn't take you to small claims court. And of course, he pitched it just right. I mean, for 400 bucks, you know, you're going to eat that with one phone call to your own lawyer if you want to fight it. So it's easier just to send him the money and uh, go about your day, which is what we did. Whew. Yikes. 
I, I, I'm hoping that if I go, you know, if I went to law school that I would do something different than that, but <laughs> even scammers go to law school. Yeah, I guess maybe, you know, he didn't get hired at the uh, high powered firm of his choice. And this was uh, all he could think of as a second job. Or maybe he had a law job and this was what he did for fun or spending money in the evenings and weekends. Who knows? This is how he funded his photography hobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every time oh, he gets wow. 400 bucks, he goes out and buys a new lens and takes more photos. <laughs> oh, geez. This is a, uh, uh, it's just exposing like my brain and how it does and doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, you might call those self-funded milestones, John. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That's a, that's a good point. Um, it, did you see, um, I, I don't know, you know, Nick and I, Nick Cordy and I both had this, you know, story of like career advancement that came from participating in, you know, communities like Spiceworks. Is that mm -hmm. something that you saw a lot, um, you know, to the point where you can actually advocate it as a um, community or as a career progression, like tactic? Oh, yeah. I've seen so many people hired straight out of the community into roles. So uh, Cole... Um, who you may know from back in the early days of Spiceworks. He started as a very active community manager and then got hired to support role there. Uh, same thing with Aaron McCormick. He was an online community member who was very active, and then he ended up getting a job and moving to Austin. Uh, I've seen the same thing at many places. Um, Logarithm, uh, where I worked, uh, they hire a lot of folks out of their online community for like professional services or sales engineers. And a lot of those people are now very senior in the company and they started out as customers and now they're like, you know, senior principal sales engineer for the Midwest region or something like that. I didn't even think about that, but of, of course, you know, I didn't have an original idea. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't think a lot of people do it they do it because of the intrinsic motivation. They don't necessarily do it to get a job, but you know, if you're really passionate about a particular software package and you love it and you think the company's doing awesome things and you get an opportunity out of your participation on the community, you know, why wouldn't you go want to go work there if that was a good opportunity? And isn't isn't the community participation I mean, even though you want to help people it kind of ends up being self-promotion for you in the long run, even if that wasn't your intention. It does. And SEO for online communities is very good because it's constantly changing content, right? No other website gets updated as often as a community platform or social media platform. So there's always new content and that ranks highly in Google's algorithm. Like, you know, if your page hasn't been touched in 15 years, Google's not going to consider that very important. So because of that, if you Google, you know, the name of the company and any terms, you're going to get results from the online community on the first page. So if you're like, you know, VMware error code 75321, you know, you're going to get VMware's main page, but you're also going to get results from VMware's online community on the first page of Google. So it's going to show and rank very highly, which ends up promoting the company uh, and also having a lot of discoverability. So when people are Googling for online tools to, you know, solve a particular problem, they're going to find your community discussions around it. Yeah, that's really and, interesting. I, I, I don't know how many times in my life, like somebody told me they were looking for, you know, to solve an IT problem. And they're like, 
you know, the weirdest thing came on. Like I, I saw your picture in the device <laughs> work yeah. and you were a- answering the question that I was, you know, asking or you were participating in the discussion. And I'm like, wow, that was six years ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I get people that recognize me from one community to another, like, when I went to Spiceworks every so often, I'd get someone who knew me from the the QuickBooks community who would be like, oh, are you the same Nick Tolstoshev? I mean, obviously, there's no other people in the world with that name. Um, but are you the same Nick Tolstoshev that uh, was at QuickBooks? And I'm like, yep, that was me. It, it, it almost feels like um, with some of the stories that you're talking about, you know, even with like day to day, like people like towing the line of like what's acceptable behavior, much less the stuff that's like just so far over the line that like you were talking about. Yeah. Um, it almost sounds like it like crosses over with like a- HR functions. Is that, yeah. is that something that like typically, I mean, obviously if I can recognize it, then people who manage community managers recognize it. Is, is there any specific training that you get or, um, you know, just pattern recognitions that you, you start to build up because of that? Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of specific training out there. In fact, I don't know if there's even a university that has a complete major in community management out there yet. There's a couple places that have courses and there's a couple professional societies now that offer training and certifications. Um, but yeah, a lot of that you just pick up along the way, either because you have a background in it, you know, like I majored in psych and computer science as a double major. So that psych aspect of it definitely come in handy. Um, or it's just something that you have a natural inclination for doing. And you do end up doing a lot of kind of social worker counselor type stuff, you know, like people, once you get to know them and become friends with them in online communities, um, you know, you're friends with them, your confidants that you'll get people that come to you and tell you stuff they haven't told anybody else yet. Like, uh, you know, I had somebody on the Spiceworks community, you know, come out to me before he came out to his coworkers and his professional network because he was worried about, you know, what the reaction would be. So, you know, part of how I helped him was to be like, hey, you know, I think it's cool. I know all these other people on the online community that don't have a problem with it and I know are going to completely look at you the same way. And then it was funny because when he finally, I think he went to the next SpiceCore meeting and kind of announced this to everybody at present at the meeting and uh, Hugh, who you all know, was like, well, yeah, of course, we've known forever, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's pretty obvious, you know, you weren't fooling us. And, and, you know, we've known for all this time, we don't care, we're still friends with you. So, um, but that was something that, you know, he picked me out of, you know, all the people in his life to kind of talk to about this and, and get feedback on it. I mean, I'm sure he talked with his family and relatives about coming out to them. But in a professional setting, I was the the person that he thought of to kind of to, to bounce this off of, which was kind of neat. That kind of speaks to the, the kind of uh, relationship that can develop over online communities, right? That, you know, you feel like it, it might be people that you meet like maybe once a year or something like that, but it still feels like extremely close because of this, you know, sometimes daily interaction. Um, even if it's like a broadcast interaction, you know, like somebody says this thing and you read it, but you read their like kind of daily, you know, uh, here's what I face today, you know, professionally and, um, or here's what I'm going to say to help you to like, 
you know, overcome your professional like issues, you're still, you feel like you're in a conversation or peripheral to a conversation that that person's participating in every day. So um, this like sense of community builds up. Yeah, it does. And there's a dichotomy in the community management world about how far you should go with that. So some people advocate, you know, you want to have good, strong boundaries. You don't necessarily use your real name. You know, for instance, uh, the um, HP rep, uh, Priscilla, on the Spiceworks community, that's not her real name. She chooses to use a fake name because she, you know, does want that boundary in place of like, this is my professional life and this is my personal life. And the two don't necessarily ever get to meet. Um, and then the side that I more lean towards is more of an integrated approach. So, you know, these are people I've become friends with, I've, you know, have lifelong relationships with, you know, I've had spice workers come stay at my house to visit, you know, multiple different times and occasions. And even, I mean, the most recent example of kind of like both a, you know, being there for somebody in difficult times and also kind of knowing what's going on in their life is, uh, there was someone on the Webber community um, who I became friends with and, you know, was friends on Facebook and he was one of the core power user group. And then uh, last year he uh, posted this weird message on Facebook saying, I just shot somebody. I think I might be going to jail. Goodbye everyone. And um, one of his other friends who saw this called the police and turns out, you know, he wasn't just kidding around. He had gotten into an altercation at his house and he had shot somebody and they died and he's now in jail awaiting his trial. And, um, you know, because of my relationship with him and knowing what he was going through in his life, you know, he had been cut off from a lot of his family members. So I started like a, you know, fundraiser for him to you know, help him with his defense and see what was, you know, what we could provide for him in the way of support and ended up talking to a lot of his family members about what was going on and becoming kind of the the hub of information flow between, you know, his friends and his family who didn't necessarily know each other, but were all like, what's going on? We saw this message. So, you know, that's something where it's like, I consider that part of the social contract when you become a community manager is like, you know, you're not just here to help these people in their day jobs. You're here to help them in their lives. And if that's something out of the bounds of the ordinary or an extraordinary circumstance like that, that's something where I'm just like, I'll just jump in and see what I can do. Wow. That's really intense. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty nuts situation. I mean, you know, and again, this is someone I'd never managed to meet in person, um, partly because he, um, was suffering from disabling back pain, so he couldn't travel because he was someone who, uh, and this is one of the great things Webroot did, was once you reached a certain milestone on the community, they would fly you out for an all-expenses-paid visit to the Webroot headquarters, and we basically spend a couple days, you know, throwing them a party and introducing them to people and letting them talk to all these people face-to-face that they'd never met. Um, so we had two different people on the Webroot community who had um, achieved that level. And then um, this guy uh, ended up being the third one, but he never got the opportunity to come out because uh, his back pain was so bad he couldn't get on a plane. Hmm. That's that's fascinating. I, I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm almost speechless, you know, 
or actually speechless, but, you know, um, I, I can't imagine, you know, if th that is like the most intense thing or, or, you know, it's just like, uh, oh no, that type of like intensity ramps up and it's like once a year or something like that happens or you get, you know, deeply involved in, in something like that. But I mean, I, I remember even on Spiceworks, you know, people would, you know, share stuff in maybe more private forums and saying, Hey, I'm going through this really difficult personal crisis or I'm going yep. through this professional crisis and, and, you know, people just jump in and, and, you know, pile on and say, you know, what can we do to, to support you? So, um, you know, it is one of those resources like cultivating a network that grows beyond just, you know, professional networks to, you know, personal networks. And, and I, you know, maybe that, that type of thing didn't exist before the internet. And, uh, so maybe, you know, the world's a better place because of it. Yeah. And I think, a lot of people talk about, you know, loneliness in the modern world and the isolating nature of being online. But I have seen these sorts of networks develop that provide that same kind of support that maybe once upon a time you would have gotten from your neighbors or your extended family or, you know, people in your local Rotary Club group or whatever is now a group of people all over the planet that you're getting this level of support from. So I feel like the community manager is the perfect mix of HR, counseling, psychology, and maybe ethics all blended <laughs> into one. Yeah. The, part of the reason I love this job is because it's a very much a jack-of-all-trades job, um, partly because it's newer and you end up doing everything, and partly because you know most companies aren't funding an entire community department. I mean, there are some out there, like uh, it's a company called Altrix here in Colorado, and they have something like 20 people on their community team with dedicated developers, and you know that, and a you know director of community and a VP of community and all that fun stuff. Um, I think that will become more common, and the job will become more specialized. But for now, yeah, I get to do it all from the day-to-day -day interaction with people to the project work and interacting with other departments and kind of product feedback, product testing, support. So uh, it's always something different from one day to the next. Wow, it was uh, really interesting to hear about the different uh, community-oriented roles that companies have and, and why they invest in the technical communities at all but i do have to say that while i was listening to the episode again um i was just staring at nick tulsashev's uh flickr photo stream and laughing my backside off at the different creative uh ways that he has dropped into various events and and different types of pictures uh just uh what a character right nick yeah fantastic Fantastic guy, interesting personality, and again, you can tell he loves what he does, but I actually liked the fact that he took the hobbyist to career path, so he was already participating in several online communities that you and he kind of had a moment about earlier, you know, I'm not that old, but it reminded me of the area of destiny exercise that we talked about in episode 20, you know, what do you really like to do? Is there a market for it? And he was really able to blend those together. 
And then, of course, the similarities to what a community manager does and what an HR person does were fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that definitely, um, definitely interesting crossovers and uh, interesting stories. Um, well, uh, before it gets uh, too late here, anything pop in your mind before we get out of here? No, just a reminder that we definitely want people to subscribe. Give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. And you know what? If you have questions, we have answers. We have the John White School of Mentoring. So there's no better gift for yourself, your friend, a member of your family who could use that next step in the career. We are collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey when you're ready to reach out for pricing and packaging information. <laughs> All right. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off. Adios. Adios.